This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode profiles Glenn Baldridge. Glenn is a multidisciplinary artist that moves in and out of printmaking, sculpture, and painting. His work is typically representational and often features hazy scenes of forests at night with lurking animals, wordplay and signage, stoner culture, and secret spaces, like a subfloor compartment that might hide something illicit. His most recent body of work is a series of paintings that feature layers of marbleized acrylic, vibrant color dialogues, and words or phrases, sometimes legible but often camouflaged into the static waves of pigment. Glenn's work is beautifully realized and full of ideas that surround the exchanges between cool and gloomy, dark humor, and mystery. We recorded the following conversation at his studio in the Williamsburg section of Brooklyn. All right, so, so jumping right back in here. I want to talk about growing up in Montana, in the woods. Because we both have that in common. Not that I grew up in Montana, but I grew up in a rural place with lots of woods. And as a kid, I spent time running around and getting lost in the woods. And I know that's something you did too. Um, and I wonder if you could talk about the woods as a, just like what, what you did in the woods and what sorts of things you discovered or what it felt like. Because not everyone plays around in forests like we did when we were younger. Yeah. Um, well, I, grew, I should say I grew up like kind of on the on the plains a little bit. Um, right, the foothills. But, yeah, it's like the it's the Rocky Mountain front, so mm-hmm. it's the foothills of the Rockies. So it's mm-hmm. kind of uh, in a town called Great Falls. Great Falls. Okay. Yeah, on the Missouri River. Mm-hmm. Um, it's claim to fame is Lewis Clark had to portage around the falls there. Um, so you know, it wasn't exactly like a wooded area, right. but. Um, it's kind of uh, big open spaces and like a, ri- a river running through town. And mm-hmm. um, we spent a lot of time though going up into the mountains. Um, so, you know, my being really young, I remember these like kind of grueling hikes that my dad would take us on mm-hmm. loaded up with like fishing equipment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there would always be some like lake destination at the end, some high mountain lake. Um, and in Montana, that's kind of a cool thing. There's all these uh, glacially carved um lakes mm-hmm. and you and your dad would go fishing yeah and your brother maybe my brother too mm-hmm. yeah yep um and something we did as a family too but um mm-hmm. more you know my brother and i and my my dad would re- really go out and do bigger trips right yeah. and was there i'm going to just presume because it's something that i sort of experienced both when i was a kid and now as an adult when i go back to uh, like a wooded area is this like sort of peacefulness and kind of uh almost like a like a little bit of a creep feeling like a spooky feeling because we're so used to city life and all the hustle and bustle and noises and like it's absent in the woods yeah I mean, which is walk, a beautiful thing yeah i mean even just walking around um my parents neighborhood like mm-hmm. where i grew up like we used to run around at night but it's so quiet there's mm-hmm. like really nothing going on um and it's kind of spooky yeah you know? um after you know living here for so many years right can you talk about the relationships between 
growing up in a more rural area and your life, your city life? Is there conflict? Is there an exchange of any sort? Do they help or hurt each other? Do you like one more than the other? Do you want to return home? I just front loaded that. I mean, I loaded that up with a lot of questions, but. Yeah, I mean, I, no, I mean, I live here. Like, this is where I live. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of points uh, in living in New York where I was like ready to get the hell out of here, but, Mm -hmm. um, you know, persevered and like, this is definitely like my home, you know, Mm -hmm. but um, there's always like a relationship to, to where I grew up and like spending time outdoors and um, having like, you know, some peace and quiet and Mm -hmm. like um, even just that, like uh, the landscape, just uh, it's a completely different feeling yeah, it's very visual to the aesthetics the, of it all. Yeah, and you know, it's like the big sky state, Montana, right? For for a reason, and it's pretty like epic vistas, and right? Things when you get out there, right? Um, I guess I wanted to try and and you know waltz into the studio from the woods because for me, um, there's there's some similarities. Like you're by yourself, or at least on like a hike or something. You're you're often quiet. You're you're in a space where you're more reflective and thinking and observing and looking around. Um, there's a lack of information. Well, there's plenty of information, but not like, like urban information or people information. You know, the trees are making noises they're, they're They look a certain way. Um, right. Dealing with weather and things like yeah, that. Yeah. Dealing with weather. Um, and you have to navigate obstacles on the trail or whatever you're climbing. Um, but there's some parallels to that experience um, and how I, I, I think I look at studio in, in this like reflective place, this place that has obst- this, this space that has obstacles in it and yeah, I have it can, to try and can figure be isolating out. too. And it's yeah. very isolating. Yeah. Um, but also calming. On a good day, studio can be calming um, in, the, in the same way like going into the woods can be calming. Is it that for you, studio, or is it is studio like a like like a like a place that's pulling your hair out and trying to like figure these things out or or like does it go in and out of all those things i don't know i mean um it's definitely like a a, a refuge i'd say mm-hmm. um so i i like being in my studio i like working in here you know it's not every day as you're actually like making something right. but um working through ideas and and material right uh, things is a lot of what I do before I start like a new project or like right. a new body of work. It's a lot of ex- experimenting. Right. Um, so like the stuff that's in here, there's, you know, s- say maybe six months of, uh, playing around with paint and materials in order to like come up with something. Right. Um, so a lot of that preliminary work. Yeah. So I don't, you know, tinkering. I don't know how exactly to like equate it to, right. um, to like camping and stuff but um there is definitely like a okay that didn't work like right. let's try this well now. yeah there's the um, work there's the yeah. work of the studio right uh, i guess i was trying to draw a connection between th- the space as no, i think it's a cool yeah, thing yeah. to think about yeah. um yeah and i mean i think th- it's certainly in the terms of um i don't know just like working through things in your own head yeah. like it's uh definitely like a yeah. similarity yeah it's a heavy-handed parallel but one i thought worth going into the difference or the similarities and differences between 
being in the woods and being in the studio. Um, I want to I want to describe your studio since this is where we're sitting. Uh, it's a shared space. You share it with another artist and friend, Alex Dodge, who's a painter. Um, it's sort of split right down the middle, so half is his, half is yours. There's uh, a bunch of storage shelves built, and you have a lofted office area where, where it's kind of like it looks like admin area up there. Computers. There's I noticed a bed for for napping or resting. It's army cot. An army cot, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and then there's a work like a like a work area where there's paint all over the floor and materials. And behind me is a is a little push cart with all these different bottles of paint. Um, you have flat files and tables on wheels, so it looks like you, you can really move things around and sort of customize the setup depending on what it is you're working on. Um, yep. And then. Yeah, there's there's a, a significant amount of 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 storage area for your own work, but a, but as well as other people's work, which are connected to a publishing company that you used to run, which we'll talk about further in the conversation. But um, you're using the height of your space. You know, you've been pretty prolific the past couple of years making making these paintings that we'll talk about. But you're going like they they're on the wall and they're going from floor to ceiling. The ceilings are maybe 16 feet tall. Um, and, um, you know, there's more than, I don't, I don't know, like 15 paintings on the wall. Some are finished, some are works in progress, some are packed up and ready to go out somewhere. Um, um, I guess my next question is, like, what is a, what is a healthy day in here feel like for you um, when you come in for a work day? Well, the last, um, the last year, I guess, um, making these new works has been a, a completely different kind of engagement with with material and process because they're much more immediate than uh, a lot of the print making projects I was doing that some elements if not all of them are made in some other studio Mm -hmm. with with equipment right so presses so like a good day now is like I come in I got panels ready to go and I can like squirt paint around and and walk away having made like a painting yeah Um, a little bit more instant gratification yeah yeah um, but then there is, you know, there's some material stuff that happens in the drying um, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of p- built into these two, some mm-hmm. where the paint splits apart and things like that. Yeah. That are, that's kind of that unknown variable. Um, right. So it sounds like a, a good day is like a lot of the preparatory work is already done. You're coming in and you're just, you're, you're working on the surface. Yeah. I got, col- I got colors mixed and mm-hmm. you know, all that, all that stuff takes a lot of time, right. like getting all these different colors into the bottles and stuff so yeah yeah. i don't think people realize sometimes that that there's a lot of work that goes into studio that's not making art it's like getting the stuff ready to make. yeah i mean that cart behind you is like two weeks worth of just in here stirring paint which is like not the most fun part right (laughs) i mean making colors is fun Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah but that's part of it yeah we gotta we gotta set ourselves up and you can't really rush it either. It's right. just like you got to get all the stuff. At least with these, I have to get everything together uh-huh. um, and be ready to make them. Right. Yeah. Let's talk about these paintings that you've been making. These are sort of new for you. And I want to talk about the different ways in which you work uh, deeper into the conversation because you you have a few different ways of making things. Um, but these paintings are the past couple years, year and a half. And I would describe, well, I'm going to describe them. They're... They're acrylic paint on wood panel, and 
the the initial read of them is they sort of register as marbleized paper like we would see on the interior of a book like an old book um but that's not how they're made they're not like in a bath with oil um you're using paint squirting it onto the um surface and then dragging a tool through and i want to ask you how you actually make them in more detail um but they're very colorful um they're most of them I feel like I could fit under my arm at least the ones you have on your wall I know they do get bigger this one is this one's maybe like s- four by five four feet by yeah. five feet so they yeah. do they do get big and then others are like 22 by 30 or something like that um, but yeah, the other and there's a mix ahead. in the in the Klaus show that's up right now there's a kind of a variety down, right down to like some 11 by right. 14 kind so of stuff. you shift around in scale you make yeah. smaller stuff you make bigger stuff um, the other important thing to note about these paintings is that there's uh, text in them, letter, uh, there's words, and they're, they're little phrases that we can talk about a little bit, but sometimes these words are more upfront and you can see them, other times they're really buried and it's almost as if you don't want the viewer to see them at all. Um, so it's almost yeah. secondary or not as important sometimes. It's important that they're there though, right. I'd say. Right. Um, can you talk about that choice when when you want it to be up front and a bit more legible versus pushed back? Well, I think each painting is um, a little bit of a different um, just experience in making it. Um, the they're all kind of constructed in, in a similar way mm-hmm. uh, with layering up the colors and then um, and then putting the text element down, and then I kind of manipulate the the surface of the paint and make it do that kind of swirling and mm-hmm. um like marbleizing that you're talking about yeah um but ultimately i want there to be some kind of tension between the legibility and and just the um overall like patterns that right. start happening plus i think it's just more interesting i know we've spoken about this before but the way the work lands for the viewer lands for me um i like that challenge of trying to decipher or find understand the secret or the message and yeah when it's up front and i can get it kind of quickly that's nice but it's i almost prefer like i would i lean towards the ones that are a bit more buried um because yeah, I, I stay with the work longer i mean there's a kind of like a you know they're very brightly colored like you're talking about but mm-hmm. there's a psychedelic kind of overall yeah you know emo bead kind of thing going on to mm-hmm. to them are um, you okay with that word psychedelic yeah, I think it's fine. To describe I mean, these works? Yeah, I think it's fine. It's um, funny because I wrote it down. I didn't want to bring it up because I feel like there's so many connotations with it. But you're okay with it? Yeah, I mean, I think it works okay. like in terms of a descriptive term mm-hmm. <laughs> for like what they look like. And, mm-hmm. they, and they are, um, you know, kind of drawing from this kind of like smoke shop. Window, yeah, window, stoner culture. Yeah, stoner culture stuff. And the text, the actual words are, you know some of them coming from from that as yeah. well let's yeah. talk about the words so i'm gonna i'm gonna read the ones that i can read and then maybe we'll just talk about where they come from or um so i see dark days ahead and, there, and it's often stacked like one word on top of another on top of another it's not like a sentence at, like left to right it's vertical uh dark days ahead and days it's important is spelled with a z Again, going back to kind of stoner culture. Yep. Um, and it's funny, like I'm, I'm like right up against some of these, and I almost think like I need to stand back twenty feet to see them. But maybe that, um, what I see, wait, what? 
is another one. No way. No way. Um, harsh toke. Harsh toke. What else? Are there any others up here? What's what? What's what? That, that, yeah, that's what it says. Right. So where are these? Where I mean, <laughs> they're coming out of stoner culture, like we talked about, but um, there is a little bit of poetry in these, and I, and I wonder, I wonder if there's any rhyme or reason for. I guess going back to what gets what stays up front is more legible versus pushed back. Um, I guess well, how how these words land in the work and, and what you want to survive. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I play around with the you know the scale, I guess, mm -hmm. um, with the scale of the patterns and um, but in general, it's it's they do what they're going to do a little bit, mm -hmm. um, and I just think it's important that they're slightly camouflaged because. Um, it just it slows the read down just just enough yeah. I think for you to like think about other things than just just the text element. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's a good strategy, and I also like the mystery in there too. Um, sometimes I you know these don't need to be read. They don't. I don't need to know what they say. They they operate well enough as as a painting with composition and push and pull and and layers and depth. Um, and sometimes they even come across as like topographical landscapes going back to the woods, I guess. Yeah, the they mountains. are much more, there is much more topography to them mm -hmm. than um, when you see them in real life, then it comes across in images, I think. Right. Because um, there's a lot of paint on there too. Yeah, right. Yeah. Can you, can you talk about how you apply the paint and, and the, the, I guess the craft that goes into how you, how you achieve this marbleized look? Sure. It's, um, it's all squirted on there from those uh, like barbecue sauce containers yeah. full of paint uh, behind you. Mm -hmm. And um, so no brushes, just no brushes. Just um, it's all applied with um, pouring and squirting mostly. And mm -hmm. then um, and then I make little uh, tools from like dollar store combs yeah. um, to drag through there to kind of do these different pattern based things. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's funny. Like when I first saw these, when I came over, I couldn't quite figure it out. I mean, that's some, that's something I like to do is like, how did the person make this thing? And, um, because I sort of initially thought they were marbleized, like how paper is marbleized, but then I saw paint and it's acrylic and I just, yeah, well, I think a lot of the, all the work I make, I yeah. hope that there's like a process element to it yeah yeah but for I hope, sure i hope that's not like the the only thing you know the most important thing oh no no, um, no, no. Yeah. so i hope that like it you're intrigued by how it's made but um it's not like the first thing you care yeah. about you know well let's talk about well before we get there like still on the on the these paintings themselves mm -hmm. and the 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 text and the, how they sort of operate like slogans or you mentioned protest signs yeah and um it didn't really, it, you know, as we talk about the layers of the work and like how they land for me as a viewer and, and what I feel and what I see and, and then getting back deeper into the different layers to how they're made. Um, one of the layers in the middle there was the, the, the idea of how political these are. And that's not a, that wasn't up front for me, but, but phrases like dream burner and buzzkill, I can, and you talking about them like protest signs. I can definitely tie into the this like disheartening cultural moment that we're in. Yeah, absolutely. Was that intentional? 
Yeah, very intentional. Okay. Um, you know, I don't think I set out to do that at the, at the uh, start of these, but mm -hmm. it's something that kind of came to the forefront, like as I'm as I'm making them during mm -hmm. you know the uh, this past election cycle and mm -hmm. and through this kind of major uh, I don't know I'd say like catastrophic cultural shift we've yeah. we've had yeah to all experience um, I don't know it's been it's been intense um, no, there's also a way to process yeah. that just for me you know for sure they're successful on that front you know I, I I think some political art can really bludgeon you and shout at you and these don't do that like I like that it's a layer in there but it's like down the line a little bit well and I think I it speaks a that. little bit to the it's more subversive the phrases are you know maybe even a little um dumb I guess but dark but also just speaking to kind of a voicelessness that you know I think people have felt or like a powerlessness mm -hmm. we felt um mm -hmm. going through this uh this last election yeah um, so definitely yeah I think uh, that's all there yeah you know, I mentioned that you work a few different ways. You've made sculpture. Um, you're a trained printmaker, and a lot of your work, the foundation of it has always been printmaking and drawing. Um, but I think through it all, there's there's a consistency in, in, in theme, and you know, maybe tone is another word. Um, and I want to talk about that with you. Um, you know, this idea of, like a toggle between cool and sad um you know i'm thinking of a sculpture you made i think the title was the the gentleman's toothpick mm -hmm. which was a sculpture that was a tree stump with uh knives pocket knives that you bought off like a like a knife channel on cable tv yeah knives live knives live at like whatever time in the middle of the night and you sort of like pulled out the blades and arranged them and stuck like used the tree stump as a pedestal and the knives had like um, graphics printed on them, like American flags and eagles and outdoor scenes. And there's probably like, oh, those are really cool. Like a knife is kind of a cool object, especially for, um, you know, young men, I want to say. I mean, that's, you know, not to get too much into gender, but like my experience as a kid growing no, up. I remember my first pocket. Yeah, knife. I was like, that was awesome yeah. and really cool to have. But there's also something very sad about those knives. They have this like, like Americana element to them, which I find kind of depressing these days. Um, right, and that they're work. poorly made. Yeah, the like craft, made in China or the something. Craft in those, uh, that's the only craft yeah. really in that piece, and it's kind of bad. Yeah, yeah. So that's like like this cool and sad in America, thing. Though. Yeah, um, and that's I feel like like this idea of like high low or um, provocative but sad or cool and sad is a through line through all your work yeah um, say like would you a, agree with that yeah like dark humor i guess is mm -hmm. like yeah humor is another thing yeah. i mean you said like these paintings are 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 you know there's a humorous dark humor component or even some of the prints you made that were um you know the phrase the end which i think was one of your first text pieces but the end was spelled with like uh decal bullet holes um or even the Double D series that you worked on, the Dunkin' Donuts logo next to the Dungeons and Dragons logo, or the Dairy Queen logo that you played with, like again this Americana, yeah, it's like the roadside attraction thing, yeah. or not roadside, but the side, of the, road. the side the, of the road, yeah, the Hamburger Mile or whatever. Mm -hmm. oh. um, but that sort of spirit weaves through all these different ways of working, 
which I associate with you, which connects all the work for you. But I wonder if you ever wrestle with like what people expect out of you. Like, oh, Glenn has a few different ways of working. Um, what's he going to make this time? Or is there any sort of conflict there for you? I mean, no one's really like given me advice about like what to do um, or, or told me to like keep it consistent or anything like that. But um, do you think people have to, do you think artists should be consistent? No. Okay. Um, I don't, but you know, I've seen it work for people um, mm -hmm. better than bouncing all over the place. Um, but I would, I would, I guess I would argue that there, there is like a real thread between the different bodies of work and mm -hmm. that um, it might just take a little bit of a longer time to like, put all those things together um you know mm -hmm. I, I don't expect it to be immediately you know have to know you'd have to know it all to really like yeah no i don't think it's i think it's it's okay that it's that slow read again like the slow read of the text back deep into the painting but like you're saying i yeah. think there are like thematic um, things that like to tie them all together even if they're the visual like um the aesthetics of it are completely different from different body of work you know oh totally i agree and i also appreciate it as someone who tries like works a few different ways um i think changing it up and i mean I try not to worry about exact you know try not to worry too much about like the end interpretation or what someone's gonna think you know you have to kind of work through these things agreed on I your own first yeah and then that's well said i yeah. agree um and that's like how ideas are born too. Like one way of working will, will give birth to another idea that you take into the next thing. And it just sort of unfolds like that. And I think that's a very natural way of working and to, I don't, I, I feel like to deny that is, is you're doing yourself a disservice in a way. The market might not like that, but I don't know for the artists that you and I type of artists you and I are, I think, I think just making the things and they go where they go is a healthy thing. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the part that I like about it. It's not, um, I don't know, stressing out too much about like the, uh, how it's all going to make sense in the mm -hmm. end, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, now let's talk about language. You know, I, you know, I've, I've spoken about this project is it's essentially like a, 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 a project around communication. Um, and the paradox is, was, you know, we're talking about visual art. Um, but this is all audio, so um, there's a disconnect. Um, and I think there's there's value to figuring out interesting ways to, to articulate ideas in art uh, verbally. You know, there's the academic route, there's the storytelling route, there's the meta metaphor route, and I think there's there's use for all of those. I'm not very good at some of them than others, but... Um, one thing I, I I come back to in this project is is the metaphor one, and uh, for example, de Kooning I guess was a very great speaker, and um, spoke about work and uh, and artwork in an interesting way. And he described a painting that Larry Rivers made as like putting your face in wet grass, mm -hmm. and um, you know that can sound kind of like corny or or you know just sort of cheesy or something like that to some people. But I, but I, but I, I like that. Um, is, is that way of relatable, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Is that way of talking about artwork fit well with you? Do you, do you have a point of view on that? Well, I mean, I'd say most of my conversations about what I do uh, would be mostly with 
you know, my peers. So right. it is, it is more of like an informal, um, way of talking and a little more free form than, um, trying to, trying to make it like sound heady or something. Like right. That, you right. Know? Um, I think that's where we get stuck yeah. is when you start to sound heady, like you say, um, I, I'm not like, I get uncomfortable when I try and be someone I'm not. And I think using the language that we're comfortable with or descriptors that we're comfortable with is, is good. Um, the other thing connected to this is, you know, we have to be careful what, what we want to broadcast or like, you know, being respectful of the mystery of art and the magic in art and not over explaining. And, and, you know, this, uh, this project tackles that as well. Um, but where do you, where do you fall on that line? Are you comfortable letting the viewer know about your work in this way or is there stuff that you want to keep to yourself well i guess it's you know ultimately it's pretty it's all personal it's like a personal exploration um so the so sometimes there's like sensitivity to like letting up i don't know letting too much be known Mm -hmm. um i can't think of like specifically what that would be but um you know i hope that it's can do different things for different people, I suppose, you know? Um, and, you know, I think maybe it's probably a, a failure if you have to like explain every little bit. Um, I agree. That's well said. And, and like there's, there's benefit benefits and drawbacks to, to handholding. And, um, I don't, f- ultimately we have, I think if you're making visual arts, you have to get to a place where you trust the viewer that they can, they can parse it out for themselves. Yeah. And I don't ever mm-hmm. want to make things that are, um, you know, only for a certain type of audience right. or something, you know, yeah. like I, I would hope that, um, I can make things that are, can be a little bit more universal yeah. than that, you know? Yeah. Um, that said, I do really appreciate context and storytelling and gaining an understanding of, of all the moving parts and the humanity behind the spectacle. And maybe that's, that's the heart of this project too. Um, cause I think there's value in that for sure. Um, on this front, I can't, I came up with some, some, some metaphors for your work and I want to throw them at you and see how you feel about them. All right. I'm ready. Um, the first one is pizza rat sitting in a vape cloud. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny every time. Yeah. Uh, and for listeners that don't know who pizza rat is, the pizza rat was a rat that dragged a whole slice of pizza, like down in the subway from the street and someone videotaped it or filmed it on their phone in New York a couple years ago. Uh, pretty hilarious little video. Um, the second, uh, the second one is eating a bowl of nerds in the dark. <laughs> Nerd cereal. Nerds the candy. Just the candy. Okay. Yeah. And I bring that up because... There was a cereal. Yeah. There was a cereal, but I know that I, you and I have a history together. We are friends of over 20 years. We went to school together. I know you as a fan of Nerds the candy, so I wanted to weave that in. Um, and the last is um, a terrible calf tattoo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not calf like a baby cow, but like the location on the back of the leg. And I, I have to pick one of these as my favorite. Which one do you think uh, uh, f- functions the best for your work? <laughs> <laughs> well, Pizza Rat and Vape Cloud, I think, is going is my number one pick. Good choice. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
let's talk about survival in professional practice because that's that's a recurring theme in this project how how we subsidize our art habits this is an expensive town to live in um and you you have you have a pretty deep skill set that's steeped in the art industry you've been an art handler you've been the director of a of an art gallery you're an artist uh you've worked um as an artist assistant in in you know a studio that where this artist had a staff of people helping them produce and manage. Um, and you you were also a small business owner um, and you ran a, uh, a print publishing company. We'll talk about that deeper in the conversation. Um, but that's a pretty great skill set to have, I think, in this town. Um, looking back on some of those experiences, are there any... Maybe we could talk about your work as a gallery director, mm-hmm. um, and you were a gallery director at CRG. Yeah, uh, but I was also art handler. Right, you worked and, your way and re- up and registrar. Yeah, and, you worked um, way up there. And I had started their additions program too, mm-hmm. um, so we made prints with their gallery. Yes, yeah. also. Yeah, but I think I think it's I, I think it's a useful area to talk about because a lot of people want to get their work in galleries and aren't quite sure how galleries operate or you know there's some there's some myth there's a there's some mythology around how a gallery works and you you working your way up the food chain or up the ladder at at crg looking back on it is is there like a like a big takeaway from that experience that you'd be comfortable sharing with listeners um i don't i think i think you you have a, a a unique set of knowledge working there that that might come in that well might i mean be i guess you know i guess the most you know i worked there for like nine years so um we do whatever a show every two months six weeks something mm-hmm. like that so installed a lot of shows and worked with a lot of artists and kind of had to deal with um you know all aspects of um what goes into that mm-hmm. um and what the expectations are of the artists and the gallery um yeah, I mean, it was really just trial by fire, though. Um, and I think it's pretty valuable just to, like, see a lot of different artists work in, in different styles and kind of have different attitudes towards, um, you know, what what their exhibitions are going to do. And um, I don't know, and just ha- even how to just how to make work. Yeah. Um, and doing the production stuff is, like, like really cool to to work with so many different people. Mm-hmm. Um. What about uh, your your role as an art handler? That's that's sort of your bread and butter job now. Um, you know, when I came in, you were you you told me a quick story about how upset you were because someone returned some work to you that that wasn't well packed. In fact, it wasn't packed at all. It was just in the trunk of a car. Yeah, and I think you told me that people treat your work how it's packed. And um, I think there's some real practical advice in, in that sort of phrase. Um, can you talk about the importance of taking care of your work and packing it properly when you're bringing it from A to B? Um, I always just try to make it so that it's going to get there, yeah. you know. Um, but also so it's not like a pain in the ass to deal with and someone can put it back together, you know, easily. Right. Um, I don't know. I just like, you know, we put a lot of time and effort into making something and try to like 
make sure it like lives its life in a in a safe way and yeah you want to you want to take like care of these banged things. up next time you see it you, you want to take care of these things especially when they leave your studio i think yeah. in the studio when it's in here that's a different story um but like you said like we put so much of ourselves into these things it's in our best interest to protect that um and take care of it um yeah i mean i know a lot of artists that you know expect someone else to do it expect or someone don't else care. to do it or don't care or they like you know, find a shitty box off the street and, and like try and like wrap it around a painting with some duct tape. <laughs> and it's just, that's not what we should be doing. Yeah. I mean, my first job out of college was working at like a, you know, professional like install packing, shipping type of art place in mm -hmm. Seattle. And, um, you know, I worked with a super meticulous guy who just taught me how to do everything, but like really nerdy way. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just kind of continued doing that. Yeah. After I learned how to do it, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's the operative word. Yeah. Be a professional. If you want your work to be respected out there, you gotta present it in a respectful way, um, or transport it in a respectful way. Let's talk about um, being an observer, and this goes back to like maybe being in the woods and looking around, and like the slowing down of things, or even on road trips and the Americana we talked about and the roadside. Um, I'm thinking about your social media presence and the sorts of images you share there. It's like car culture and um, interesting piles of garbage, which are, you know, I think it's specific to city living, but I think that connects to these through this through line of like dark humor. Yeah, and It's like sort of beautifully object things. Yeah. Like yeah, can you can you walk me through so some like what you're looking for, what like catches your eye um, that you want to snap a picture of? Uh, well, I guess the yeah, I guess the Instagram stuff is kind of like a photo sketchbook or something. Um, it feels like and that. you know, just things that um, I'm seeing when I'm walking on the dog. You know, like piles of garbage in the park, old you know, f pile of flat screen TVs. Um, and I'm drawing a lot of like color um, influences from from around the neighborhood and um, just kind of city living mm -hmm. with that you know the overhead street lights on you know the I don't know pack of cigarettes on the on the yeah yeah street or whatever. Um, uh, it's that it's that sort of like sad cool thing again in a way. I mean, yeah. cigarettes are kind of this cool thing, but or you know the TV light coming through some curtains. Yeah. Um, like a lot of the color stuff for the paintings is coming from yeah, like direct observation. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Is that something? So, you know, going back into these paintings, are you where you're sourcing some of the colors out of the pictures you're taking on your phone? Yeah, totally. Oh, wow. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't have w known that unless you, yeah. Shared. And then I think that, you know, the, um, some of the older work is where we're talking about the, um, like the dairy queen and the, the roadside type places. It's mm -hmm. like, you know there's a lot of just like open like empty staring when you're like yeah um in the in those in-between spaces on where all the roads look the same and the 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 things that start to pop are like the the like vanity plates and the bumper stickers yeah. and the like or the absurd signage yeah on, the, on a building yeah exactly which the, can go back into these sort of like the signage in your paintings even though it's buried and pushed back there's a connection there i think it's great like this is like where art and life sort of intersect and overlap and inform each other. It's right. great. You kind of have to like 
you know, draw from what you, what you know. You mm-hmm. know? Um, and I think, I mean, you and I text pictures of, of things back and forth, but whenever I, I see like someone getting rid of baby furniture on the street, it turns into like, like a dumpster and it's like a <laughs> crib full of beer cans. Yeah. And there's a lot of strollers on the street. Strollers really full crazy. of gro- garbage. And it's like really sad, but kind of funny. I mean, that's that, that ties into all this sort of thing. Let's go into, you know, I know you're a trained printmaker and, um, you know, before these paintings, there was uh, a, uh, a project, and I know it's, it's continuing, where you made prints based off photographs that were taken with a trail camera or a game camera, which is this remote camera set in the woods with a motion detector and a, an animal or a person walking by uh, would, would cause a shutter to, shutter to snap, and then you go through the pictures and figure out which ones you want to use um, and then make a... a uh, an artwork from that image. Um, but there's a lot of printmaking ideas involved with how you realize that image. Can you talk about how those works happen and, and sort of what the, what the, um, I don't know, I guess the spirit of those are as they connect to everything else. Yeah. I guess the, the experience of kind of putting them together is, is sort of part of it. So the cameras are placed out in the woods. Um, you know, I live in New York city and I have to go every few months, like, go into the country and get in a canoe and go around this big pond and, right. and access the cameras and get the get the SD cards and kind of sort through like tens of thousands of images um, to try to find something cool that happened, right. you know. And initially I was just looking for, I mean, there are lots of animals, obviously. Um, but then I was kind of looking for the ones that didn't have anything mm-hmm. um, where there's this like tension between... Um, why you know what's hacked yeah you don't know what, what triggered you don't, it you, you don't know? know what triggered it um but they do have like a real surveillance quality too um mm-hmm. which i like this kind of um kind of rural surveillance um yeah they're, the, they're the cameras the cameras are all like these um consumer grade like cameras for actual hunters um, right to check out where animals are coming through or whatever right 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 um yeah there's a narrative in these ones i mean it's a scene and i get to think about who took this picture? Um, who's the author of the picture? Uh, what triggered it? Uh, and like you said, that there's some night vision and a flash. Um, so there's like a like a haunting effect that takes place in in the image that you're translating. And I, you know, I love that I'm I'm not there. You know, yeah. Like, um, I think that's an important part of yeah. it. Is that you're not actually taking the picture? And it's just, but it's also a way for me to like continue having like a relationship to, you know, yeah, somewhere else, like. That's oh yeah, and for context, feels remote, you know. For context, we should say that these cameras are mostly set up in, in Rhode Island, where your in-laws live. Yeah. So that's where you're commuting up to check to check yeah. out the cameras. Yeah. Um, so then you get these images, um, that meet your criteria. They're they're cool and creepy, or there's some, something interesting going on in them, and then you bring them bring them back to studio, and then what? You make a screen screen. Um, I start with some handmade print. paper that's pretty rugged. Um and watercolor it mm-hmm. so add a tone to it and then um apply powdered graphite and then i screen print the image um in a like in a clear which acts as like a photo fixative mm-hmm. um and then i erase the image back out right. so everything that's fixed stays and um, but that's really like 
but kind of like in a cheesy way it's like the um developing of the photo um you know removing that um the light areas from the black right yeah i mean it, it's it's nice because it registers as like a manipulated photograph sometimes it registers as a drawing um there's a lot of touch in it and paper pulling sometimes and that erasure um, yeah and i always like to yeah. have some kind of thing built in that's going to add um i don't know surprise element even to me i mm -hmm. guess um so there's certain material things that happen that w i wouldn't be able to achieve it yeah in any other way yeah um, and i might not even know totally what it's going to look like yeah and it, and those works connect right back into the themes we've been talking about i think there's like a like an edge of darkness thing and an unknown and a mystery. And like, we have to sort of parse it out for ourselves or, or fill in the gaps to tell ourselves the story. And I like that challenge. It's nice. Thanks. Um, some of the other prints you've made, uh, involve like a pretty intense woodblock process where you had to go down to Florida to use a special print. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Hydraulic press. Yeah. Um. And these prints I'm talking about again, I'm just, like now I'm sort of in this world of your themes and how that theme manifests itself through your work. Um, the print I'm thinking about was like a switchblade in a secret compartment in a floor and the floorboard is like moved up and there's this knife there. And that again is like this cool, sad thing of like a teenager hiding a knife. Um, but you're playing with wood grain. You're like acknowledging that there's a wood grain to this process and you figured, you figured out how to utilize that. Yeah, so it look the, those prints specifically look like a like a section of floor. Um, so I'm actually just printing the wood as like as the thing that it might might be. Right. Um, and then the like real image part is is that like um, kind of photographic. Um, it's a laser cut, right. like rendering of like a switchblade. Um, right. And then the other one has like a VHS tapes that are. Well, that's right. The VHS that are hi yeah. hidden. Yeah. Yeah, you can't tell what type, what's on the, I mean, there's no labels on the VHS tapes, but where I'm prompted to think that they're like, it's someone's porn collection or something that I shouldn't see. Right. And I hope that like whoever it is looking at it is going to like add their own like kind of presumptions to what those, what those tapes might be or what the like story is. But you know, I like that, that it's could be really sinister or, yeah. or it could be like, you know, someone's stash spot for, for whatever reason. You yeah. Know? And they're creepy, you know, I mean, those, those, they, they, they're evocative in that they like are, they're unsettling in a way. I'm even like, I don't want to, you know, pick apart every print you've made. Not, I shouldn't say pick apart, but, but like your coffin prints with the, with the lottery scratch ticket ink printed over the top. There's like, a um, an unsettling quality to some of the imagery, uh, the knife in the floor, the, you know, they, like I'm seeing something I shouldn't see or is slightly uncomfortable, which ties back into this, this sort of um, dark humor that goes through, is it one of the through lines in all your work? Um, it's really nice. Yeah, and I think that, you know, things hidden is like kind of, is definitely a thematic thing, whether it be like psychological things or, or like actual objects, you know, mm -hmm. or text. But, yeah. Let's talk about Fourth Estate. Fourth Estate was your print publishing company that you started, what, 10 years ago about? Um, well, I ran it for 10 years. So it started in 2005 to 2015. Okay. Yeah. And what was the origin of that? You just were like, I'm going to try this or like, how did it come to be that project? I was, um, I was doing some kind of, uh, I guess renegade, um, silkscreen printing myself. Um, mm -hmm. 
in my studio uh, for other people. And um, I got in a little over my head uh, at a certain point. And I, I met Luther Davis, who worked at um, Excel Fine Arts at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a professional print shop. And the two of us kind of saw a need for, you know, a lot of people we knew, um, our peers, that they wanted they were interested in making screen prints and there weren't um publishing companies you know making that stuff with younger artists so right. that was kind of our focus was you know underserved like um artists that wanted to to make prints and mm-hmm. like within a professional way um, right and some of the projects you do were very ambitious they weren't they were beyond just like ink on paper or like an etching or a screen print you're doing additions of objects and things with sculptural components. Um, can you talk about like the decision or maybe just was how the artists uh, wanted to work with you, but this like how you like opened up the idea of the potential of a print or what a print could be? Yeah. Well, I think each, each project was, you know, uni- unique with, uh, we talked to the artists, you know, we'd either invite them or they'd come to us with something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, kind of figure out the best way to make the thing serving the idea and um you know whatever our capabilities were um so they, it often became like pretty um involved um mm-hmm. in order to like communicate whatever the idea was in the yeah. best way you know? yeah and you know the investment and the ambition in the prints i mean what we'll use my project i did a project with you it was a diptych print it took us over a year to produce and I think because this was like a small operation that relied on the community and all our friends to sort of volunteer to help make stuff is what allowed Fourth Estate to sort of breathe and grow and um, really do some impressive work. Um, yeah, I mean, that was all, all yeah. part of it. We were all chipping in with a lot of sweat equity for sure. Yeah. Um, there wasn't a lot of money behind it. <laughs> right, all. right. But one of the um, one of the great... I guess returns on it was that because you guys were doing where you were making such impressive prints is they were being supported by institutions. They were acquiring it for their collections. I'm thinking of the Whitney, the MoMA. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, a, a lot. Of, I mean, it was amazing. We were very surprised by like how um, open the institutions were mm-hmm. to, to checking out what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they, they were very supportive and it was awesome for a lot of these artists we were working with yeah. um, to get into these collections too, like super early in their career. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's also important to say that you were running Fourth Estate in addition to maintaining a studio practice. And I was working at CRG. And you're also a gallery director at the time. So it was like one of your few identities as an artist out there and another project that you're working on. But in the face of it all, you were feeding it and it was growing and um, pretty, pretty incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, we had a lot of fun uh, doing that project and mm-hmm. made a lot of co- really cool additions, I think. Yeah. Um, but then at a certain point, you chose to, to sunset it and to, to like wind it down. Um, can you talk about that decision? I'm curious about like when we choose to sort of shift gears and what what nudges us to do that sometimes yeah i mean i got older and you know life changes um, yeah a little yeah, bit sure, um, i got married um and you know just like figuring out ways to like 
figure uh, you know manage your time and think about what you want and mm-hmm. um a certain point like i really just wanted more time in, in my studio focusing on my own work i, I love the collaboration and mm-hmm. um that was like a you know i, I miss that part of it like working with other artists mm-hmm. but um yeah mo- mostly just to be back in studio and uh you know and not work like so many hours a week um yeah like doing like you know the books for for a company um that started to feel like kind of a drag so yeah um, no that sounds just about right i mean to get back to studio and, and you know like honoring that itch that's important um and i think that's and you know there's like administrative great. stuff you have to do for yeah. your own studio practice too um and uh, you know you see everything on wheels and stuff in here and that was really like a practical thing where it started to be like the company taking over my space right. and, it, and I started to get like mad at it. Right. Um, and I didn't want to feel that, you know? Yeah, totally. That's well said. Um, do you remember the last great piece of culture that you saw? It could be a music show that you went to or a film or even in a piece of art in a gallery or a museum or something like that. Wow. That's a tough question. Yeah. Um, well, I've I've been in here a lot because um, yeah. I just put on that put together that show for for Klaus Gallery, mm-hmm. um, so I haven't been like out and about like seeing seeing things like I normally would. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I went to kind of a noise fest for Hospital Productions, which is a, a rec- noise record label. Twenty mm-hmm. uh, year anniversary show yesterday. Um, cool. That was pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I asked because I. You know, you hear about these people that see a piece of art and they're like, like moved to tears. And I, full disclosure, I've never, <laughs> I've never felt that way. Yeah. Um, and I, I sometimes wonder about the power of a still piece of visual art to do that. I think our brains are wired to respond like that more to music or maybe even film like that, that, that way of storytelling. Um, but have you ever had like a, an intense emotional response to a piece of like a painting or a photograph or something like that? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, I, for me, my engagement is like, you know, I, I love seeing work and, um, you know, I, I love working with artists and everything, but my engagement is like, like very personal too. Um, and a lot about like making, um, and that's where I like get the joy, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, we're talking a little bit about, I don't know, my Instagram and stuff like that. Uh Like I, I pull more from like, just like outside the world rather than like the art world, I'd say. Oh, sure. For like inspiration. Yeah. 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 My, my like little bits and, and like things that like get me all excited or, you know, yeah. Like that pile of garbage in the park or whatever. No, I agree. (laughs) I agree. I think, I think, I mean, I like going to galleries and museums. I don't do it as much as I like to because of life, which is a fail on my end. I mean, we live in this town. It's one of the reasons why I'm here. I mean, that's not true. I go out to see stuff, but um, I'm not looking necessarily for inspiration. I just want to see what people are doing. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I'm curious in that way, visually curious. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, we're, I don't, we're always observing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes I'll like... I'll get inspired by how something bad is. I mean, that's that's sort of cynical of me to say, but you know, when you go to a museum show and you're like, oh my God, this is terrible. It's like, 
well, if that exists and like yeah. I'm doing okay, or I feel like I'm doing okay, um, sometimes that's that's worth 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 something. I mean, I should say like sometimes it's like I I can get a, I don't want to see like too much, you know? Yeah, because um, it can get like a little overwhelming, and for sure, you're still like trying to work through like something on your own, mm-hmm. and um, you don't want to be like, oh, that person did that idea better yeah. or something like that yeah. you got to like at least see it through yeah. like without no i don't know for me i have to put on the blinders like a for little sure bit, especially when i'm really working on something yeah and i like the challenge of of finding inspiration in something that's maybe disconnected or like a few steps away from quote unquote art um i mean maybe for example I, i've been excited about watching this um uh, female skateboarder who's incredible and and she like operates in this in the in the queer community and um it really sort of messes with my perception of skateboarding because right, like i grew up looking at it's all it was all guys thing, yeah. yeah bro thing and 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 it's just really cool to think about it's like i find that incredibly inspiring yeah um um if you could be a different type of artist or if we acknowledge that there are many art worlds um if you could shift into a different art world, is there one you jump into or be, if you could just be a different type of artist, it's all the same question essentially. Well, um, I don't know. I've been, you know, I'm always playing around. Um, Mm -hmm. so last couple of years I've been, um, taking some classes at urban glass and trying out neon and glass blowing and, Mm -hmm. um, some kiln forming stuff. Um, and I had some scholarships there to do some different things. Um, I don't know. I'm like super intrigued. I haven't really made anything that I feel like needs to other people to see it yet. (laughs) But but I think there's something there. Um, and I love that. Um, the, the glass blowing shop too is also like kind of a community, uh, based shop, which is something I'm used to with, um, printmaking. And I love that, um, that kind of interaction with, with space and equipment. Um, yeah. So for me, that feels, it's feeling kind of cool but um it also fits right in i I don't know where it's gonna go i feel you know you're talking about like blown glass and stretching glass there's definitely a connection aesthetically for me with like what that looks like and maybe even feels like with how you're stretching out painting these paintings i can see connection there. yeah for sure and that's like why i was getting into it um i tried to make some work with silicone that that, um probably would be better served Mm -hmm. having been made in glass yeah um you know, so figuring out some of those things. Yeah, I mean that's that's a great example of the 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 through line through all your work is the materials are different or the form is different, but the sensation might might be similar. I don't know. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the show that you just put on at Klaus Gallery. Um, do you have a program for how you prepare for a show, or you just sort of sort of wing it? I mean, there's people that sort of pre-design a show. And they have it laid out on like a SketchUp or in a foam core model. And then there's people that just make a ton of art and they curate out of what they have in the studio and put the show up that way. Where do you fall? I guess, I mean, those are just two very different ways of working. There's stuff in between, but what do you, do you have a, a method for when you prepare for a show? This show is a little bit um, more freestyle than, than I'm used to mm-hmm. um, because of the way, the kind of the immediacy of the paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, I wanted to like kind of work up right to the last minute and then choose from, from those best ones. Cause I felt like I was really kind of getting somewhere mm-hmm. like close to the show. 
and like working through some of the like material things and some of the ideas were kind of beefing up Mm -hmm. um so yeah this one i pulled i pulled a lot of paintings in i had a a couple ideas that they're going to be you know this one big painting on this wall and like these two paintings might look good together right and then i was gonna have two little drawings in the hallway um and that those things worked but for the most part i just had to like get in there in space and like move stuff around yeah play around yeah yeah um and sort of you know it makes sense to me that it was more free jazz installation you know these these paintings are much more much looser than um the last body of work i saw um you know that touch and that sort of painterly exploration that's going on in these um there's a lot more production in the last shows too so there's um more planning that had to be involved so i kind of knew farther ahead like Mm. what i was aiming for Um, yeah no i mean i mean i was at the opening and it felt incredible in there i think it's great um do you have any unrealized projects or goals that you'd like to 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 figure out how to how to get in front of you the world's your oyster here i it certainly is um (laughs) well um I mean, I've been kind of scaling back on my um, my print projects a little bit. Mm-hmm. Where I was doing, you know, a few editions a year or something like that for s- several years. It was kind of like a heavy clip to like be figuring out those projects yeah. that are pretty involved. Um, so I've been working on this uh, suite of photogravures for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just getting finished up. That's all, they're all shot with the game camera. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, it's like the oh, kind of a woods theme. And then um, I hope to do two more portfolios of those, which is like going to take another, you know, few years, I suppose, to like see that through. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I'm hoping to do like one with more like a watery water image and then a water theme and then maybe an urban theme kind of. Oh, cool. One with the game cameras. I like the sound of this. Yeah. You know, one of my criteria is for a successful piece of art for me as a viewer is that I think about it for a few days after I see it. And it's funny, like we talked about, like we don't have the, like these tearful moments when we look at the paintings, but, but, but paintings or works of art that stick with me for a few days, that's sort of like, I know that something's working or like, uh, I keep returning to it even in my own mind. And your paintings at Klaus are doing that for me right now. Sweet. And, um, you know, it's been really, really exciting to see these develop and how prolific you've been. Um, and I mentioned to you before, um, that it seems like these, these are giving you something and like you're, you're finding something that's making you work this hard. And that's really nice for me as a viewer to see. And also because I know you, um, and sort of know some of your work habits, like there's some drive in here. That's really exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, I was trying to come up with a, like a kind of more free, thing free or freer yeah. process in the yeah. studio and i and th- this is feeling like pretty good at the moment yeah i mean it's really great glenn and and the 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 painting and the effect is is is, is remarkable and um thanks, thanks for do- thanks for doing this project and, and being being so forthright really yeah, appreciate thanks it thanks for coming over thanks glenn
And we've made it to the end. A quick reminder that listeners can learn more about this project and the artists featured by visiting deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also find the series and subscribe in iTunes. Thank you for listening and check back soon for a new episode.